It's time for JT the Brick. How are we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinionated sports talk host. We have a goal. We have ideas. We know exactly what we want to do here. Just win, baby. The Raiders' schedule is brutal. It's a second-place schedule that's front-loaded heavy and back-loaded heavy. The fans of the Raider Nation. Sound off like you got a pair. JT the Brick. I'm talking about the notorious ones, the out-of-control fans, the passionate fans. All of you fans are invited to be a part of the show. I'd like you to come in big and come in with a purpose. And that's it. Use the phone like a weapon. Enjoy everything we do. And please always feel welcome to call in and to tweet and to be a part of the show. Fair enough? And now, here's JT the Brick. Man, it's a trade deadline now. Under the wire, coming to the end here. Looks like the Raiders are quiet. If there's breaking news, we'll let you know right here. We know that Roquan Smith goes to Baltimore, which is a big deal. Uh, there's been some other trades here, and that that was a big deal. Roquan Smith to Baltimore. And in exchange for that, the other deal, the Bears traded a second-round pick for wide receiver Chase Claypool. That's a nice p- pick there. So when you look at Pittsburgh and that move there as they move on from Clay, uh, Chase Claypool, that's one of the deals there. But the blockbuster deal According to Adam Schefter, Denver dealing Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins for a package that includes the 2023 first-round pick that Miami acquired from San Francisco. So according to Adam Schefter, the trade terms, according to him, is Miami trades the 2023 first-round pick. That's what they got from San Francisco. A 2024 fourth, and running back Chase Edmonds, Denver trades Bradley Chubb and the 2025 fifth-round pick. What does this mean? Well, the Dolphins, like the Raiders, are struggling with sacks. They got a great offense, and they just got a great defender. The Dolphins are expected to work out a new long-term deal with Bradley Chubb. And Chubb is 26, and now he's paired with a emerging player in Jalen Phillips, who's 23, the other pass rusher there, as they're trying to improve that. So there are deals going down left and right, a couple of big ones, Also, the Niners are trading running back Jeff Wilson to Miami. Miami makes another move there. So the 49ers are trading running back Jeff Wilson to the Dolphins for a 2023 fifth-round pick, according to Adam Schefter. Also, the Jaguars trading for Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley. And that deal's still being finalized, but Ridley is currently serving a suspension for betting. Remember betting on NFL games last year? So he's sitting out this year. But the Jaguars are adding depth at that position. So that's where we're at as the Raiders lose in New Orleans, don't score, barely get past the 50. And now they have to turn around. They're in Sarasota, up the road from Jacksonville, and get ready for that game. The voice of the Raiders, Jason Horowitz, kind enough to join us. And I can pretty much guarantee you you'll never call a game like that again in your life. I don't think you'll ever see a negative perfect storm of everything going wrong the way it did on the stat sheet Tell me how that game developed and how you saw it from your perch. It was, it was I, at one point, Lincoln turned to me and said, are you okay? And I said, why? He said, you sound really dejected. <laughs> uh, it was hard to watch, you know, the, all the, uh, and I'm sure it was for, for everyone else's perspective. It was all the, all, all the things that had gone wrong to get to two and four heading into week eight. The one thing that hadn't gone wrong um, the offense hadn't struggled like that. The offense hadn't struggled, period. You know, week one, there were the turnovers, but they moved the football. Week three at Tennessee, they struggled, but even if struggles, they still had a couple of long drives in the first half. 
and had 10 first-half points, a couple of long drives in the second half, nothing like that. Um, and so, you know, there was zero protection for Derek Carr. You know, the couple for Devontae Adams that you wonder if they changed the outcome, not of the game. I don't think it sort of changed the outcome of the game. But the momentum a little bit. The one that was called incomplete where the, you know, I don't know what they were saying on TV because we weren't seeing, we weren't hearing that. From our perspective and all the replays, we could not tell if his left foot came down inbounds or out of bounds, the white shoes with the white sideline. So we thought they made the right call with it being inconclusive evidence. And then the one that, you know, it was a lob to his back shoulder on a second and long that he gets Alante Taylor to go past him without touching him, no pass interference, he gets his hands on and he just couldn't bring it in. And you wonder if those two plays change things around the rest of the way. Maybe that opens up for the running game. Maybe things change. Um, but 24 nothing. by the time we got to the opening drive for the Saints in the third quarter, you could, you could tell the game was over. Yeah, it felt like that, too. When Darren Waller was working out and warming up, it looked like possibly he could go, and I've been suggesting that when he didn't go, I think it changed a lot because Dennis Allen's team's goal was to take Josh Jacobs out of the game. They did that. And then the other side was how to take Devontae out. I cannot get my head wrapped around how Devontae against a rookie had one reception for three yards and Hunter had one reception for six yards. It doesn't make sense because you could throw back shoulders. You could throw little slants of two and three yards and get him going in space for a 13-yard gain. What did you see in regards to Derek's viewpoint on why Derek couldn't find the passing lanes to get those guys the ball. I think there, it, there were lots of times, particularly in the first half, where it felt like he was holding on to the football too long. Um, mm. After the third drive, maybe the fourth, it, it definitely felt there was no time to throw the ball. So that certainly developed as the day went on, and he was getting knocked around. And he was getting knocked around in the beginning. Early on, it felt like he was, he was, holding on to the ball way too long. Um, Foster Morrow had, I think the number was six catches, mm-hmm. but a lot of those were dink and dunks and short yards. He was bailed out once where Derek was getting, getting sacked, and he found Foster, who it was actually, he, he stayed in to help protect against Cameron Jordan, and the only reason he was open is because Cameron Jordan went by him. <laughs> and Derek uh, saw Foster on the corner of his eye and, you know, went for a negative play. I, I There's a lot to regroup there. I There's a lot going on right now with a two and five team after that there was a lot of talk about embarrassing josh jacobs talked about the fact that there was no fire on the sideline from the get-go no energy and and they all have said that that's going to be drastically different this week in jacksonville you can say it but why was there no energy on the sideline you know they just beaten houston a pick six sealed it the offense is flying you know in new orleans you're going to get a team that can move the football why Why was there no energy? Um, and I, I never know that. I, you know, players have said that for years, and I've never known the answer to that. Um, but but I, mean, I always find it intriguing when, when players say that they can sense that before the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I you know, I wonder, not that we have a microphone on a player before the game, but I wonder if they would have said that before the game, too. Yeah, Jason Horowitz is our guest, voice of the Raiders. What a great job he's doing. It's very easy for me to sit on the pre- and post-game show and to see body language, and you're at the game. You're busy calling the game. you got to have yeah. down and distance, who's in motion, but I know you have a monitor next to you, and I know you could look down on the field and see the rhythm of a sideline. I agree with you. Josh McDaniels came from being an offensive coordinator on a highly motivated team. Gronkowski, Edelman, 
uh, the pl- the play, the great play of the defenders on that team, who were very unsung. You didn't have to worry about motivating the Patriots. Here, maybe he has to worry about motivating the team a little bit more. Other than Max, we- we're still trying to figure out with the captains, and A.J. Cole is a great player, Carlson's a great player, they do their job. But who else on this team? I guess it's supposed to be Perryman and Carr. Would it be fair to say it's Carr and Perryman who have got to act like the leaders, because they are, and do something to get the team moving emotionally if they can't do it physically with their play on the field? I would think so. Um, I mean, you've been around this team, JT, a lot longer than I have, and, and, and you know, Derek's been talked about as a leader uh, for, for a long time. He is the quarterback of the same franchise and has been now in his ninth year and is very successful in terms of statistics, yards. Uh, he's, you know, I, I think, will pass Phil Sims next time for 39th all-time. Most yards in franchise history where has had some very successful and Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, I, you know, you, 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 you would have, I think, a better assessment of that than I would. Um, there is something going on. Whatever that something is, I have no idea. But there is something going on with this team that, that, that produces a performance like that. And maybe that's the performance that changes the rest of the season. We'll, we'll, you and I can sit back six weeks from now and say, hey, uh, remember that game in New Orleans? Man, did that get this team going. I don't know. Maybe it does. Um, or maybe this is a team that's got all the talent in the world that's going to finish 5-12. and 12. I hope it's not the latter. Yeah, Jason Horowitz as we wrap it up. So really important here what happens with the identity of the team and what's going to happen with Trevor Lawrence. We did the podcast today with Eddie Pascal and Lincoln Kennedy, uh-huh. and Trevor Lawrence is really struggling. I talked to a insider who said he just sails the ball. He, he, it's a lot of checkdowns and a lot of overthrows, and he's been through a lot. Urban Meyer just destroyed this kid year one. Didn't even get on the plane after a loss. I've never heard of that in my life. And he stayed in Cincinnati and put Trevor Lawrence on a plane after a loss. They blew up Urban Meyer. They bring in Peterson, who won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, who's a quarterback whisperer. And he's trying to fix them. And they got off to a pretty good start, Jason. And they got good players on defense. And now they've hit the wall. And they were awful. I mean, awful in London. So I think they're going to come back like New Orleans did last week, going, hey, this is our entire season. That we got to play great in this game, and the Raiders just got annihilated. Let's go after the Raiders, and I think the Raiders are going to have to match them in the first 10 minutes of this game to stay in the game because I think Jacksonville's going to hum, and they're going to come out of here looking to jump on the Raiders because that's what they saw in their film study in New Orleans. So I have never been to a Jaguars game at home. So I'm not positive what to say about what their crowd is like uh, for home games and what the atmosphere and how they feed off energy and all that stuff. I've never been to one, so this will be my first. Um, I you know, know what I've heard and that's and attendance and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but in reference to quarterback spot and what quarterbacks have done to the Raiders, what I'm very interested to see, and it's part of my plan for my prep this week, is what quarterbacks are against all other teams and then what quarterbacks have been in the week they have played the Raiders. Because Russell Wilson has been drastically criticized for how he has played this year. He looked pretty awesome in the game for the Broncos. Now, he, got, he missed some passes, yep. but he had really good numbers. Davis Mills for the Texans has had a couple of good games, but he has been absolutely atrocious at other times. And he was really good uh, for, for three quarters against us. So 
let's see what happens here with Trevor Lawrence because one of the problems for Trevor Lawrence, and it happened against Houston in the loss, it happened against Denver again, and, and Lincoln and I left the hotel before, right when that game hit halftime, so I did not see the second half. We were at the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, but right before halftime, he threw that interception in the same spot of the end zone front corner as he did against the Texans. And, and, and I'm curious to see if a lot of his turnovers, a lot of his mistakes have been in the red zone, and that's part of the problems for the Jaguars. So th- those two things are things I'm looking at when I'm looking at prep this week. Uh, I'm very curious to see just how drastically different it is because they have playmakers. They have a really good running back. Travis Etienne missed his entire rookie season. He's having a solid second year um, for the Jaguars, so they've got that threat. They've got good receivers, including one we know very well from the Raiders, mm-hmm. uh, and Christian Kirk is dynamic, so they've got players. They do. Um, and so the question is, can the Raiders stop that? <laughs> Because otherwise, that puts a whole lot of pressure on that offensive line to protect Derek Carr. All right, so it was an early game, so you got home early for Halloween. Was there any Raider-themed Halloween Raider costumes or Raider decorations? This is your first Halloween as the voice of the silver and black. So the baby was a Raiderette. All right. Uh, The baby was a Raiderette, and she and I paraded around town in 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 our Raiders gear. Uh, the older one, and, and you're going to meet the older one next week. She's coming with me to Vegas for, uh, for the Colts game. She's Fantastic. very excited. Um, she went as a, now I put the caveat in there. She went as a photographer. She wanted to be a, she wants to be a photographer. Um, I said she was a team photographer and then, <laughs> and then my five-year-old was Iron Man. So a little bit different on that one, but I'm sure we could find, if we walk around Allegiant Stadium together next week, I'm sure we could find some Raider fan who's dressed as Iron Man. For sure. Have safe travels. Enjoy your time with your family and get a win in Jacksonville. We'll see you for Indy. Looking forward to meeting your daughter. I'm going to put the polo back on JT from the Texans game. It was clearly my fault that we lost. Take care, my friend. (laughs) So long. Jason Horowitz. I'm on the pregame show with Eric Allen. So we're there and I got ready that morning and I threw on my Ken Stabler t-shirt from the Hall of Fame. One of my favorite shirts. The Snake. It's from the Hall of Fame when he got in. Had that on. And then I threw on my black hole sweatshirt that Cisco gave me. So I had a little black hole going because Rob Rivera, who passed away, he was my roommate in New Orleans when we were there. And then I threw on my Tom Flores Hall of Fame hat because Tom Flores won a Super Bowl in New Orleans. So I left the house very early. Wife was still sleeping. Dog took the dog for a walk. I'm like, man, I got some juice on here, man. I got the black hole. They've invaded New Orleans. I got Coach Flores and the snake. And the snake's from that region. Because when I had my famous Super Bowl party down there, we, uh, we paid Snake. We gave Snake money, which was one of the coolest things I've ever done, was I had a wad. I had $10,000 cash in my pocket. And I believe we paid Freddie B something, but I'll never forget what it was like on Bourbon Street to whip out $5,000 in cash in a rubber band and give it to Snake. I said, yeah, you deserve this. You're the, you're the snake. We collected money at the door. We raffled off a helmet that was signed by a couple of Hall of Famers for a couple grand and uh, was able to give some money to Snake. And we gave some money to a preacher who was kind enough to join us involved in Katrina cleanup, and he came to the party. Wow, it's a good time to talk to Shane Knighty of the Golden Knights broadcast team. What a great job he does. And Shane, I didn't know if I'd be talking to you with an 8-2 and two record for VGK. you got to be excited about this fast start. Well, I think everybody's excited to see what they've been able to do here out of the gate, JT. It's, uh, you know, you, you never know coming into the year, and I've always had the belief that, uh, you know, everybody thinks they're off for a great year. You know, there's that upper echelon of teams that 
and I felt they could feel in it, but it's whatever team could get to their game the quickest early on is usually the ones that come out to a fast start, and I think it's, it's always crucial to kind of bank those points early in the year. Shane, what's working on defense? Let's go to the goalies and the rotation, the health of Petrangelo and what he needs to do early at his age. Theodore, what are you seeing from the back end that's helping the goal scorers get open in space? Well, number one, health, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're healthy back there. I think the biggest thing you're seeing is the, a buy-in and an adjustment here to what Cassidy's kind of implemented in the type of team defense they want to play. Um, you know, I have a, maybe a bitter handle. I think some of it has crossed over from the Bruins era, and it's more, you know, they're, they're the handoff, the, the communication, rather than man-on-man and losing coverage. They're, they're protecting zones. They're more patient. And then when they have time to close out, so they're defending as a group. It took a little while. I think that's why preseason, there were some humps for them to get over. Um, but they really bought in. And when a coach, new coach comes in, the best way to sell your system is to have success. And I think they've, they've seen that now as a group of players that, hey, we play the right way. You know, they're starting to get more and more comfortable where it's not, you know, you're not thinking as much. You're just reacting. I think that's what comes over time. And I still think there's more steps for them for that to become instinctual. So um, I think just, just what's been done by the coaching staff here to implement how they want to play defensively. And then the less time you spend there, the more you spend on the other end. So for me, it's been about team defense. It's been about great goaltending. And then it's been balanced scoring. That's been the three top for me here, why they've had success. And, you know, they're eight and two. And even look at those two losses. Mm. They're in both those games. Yeah. They have been in every game this year. And uh, I think that's a real, it's always important when you have that kind of structure, that template you can fall back. And, I, you know, anybody who's been around the league, it is a long grind, 82 games, and you don't feel it every night. We don't go to work and feel great every day. Um, so you have to rely on what's going to make you successful. If you can just bring your B game, you can fall back on that structure. And I think they've done that. There's been parts of games where they haven't been in it, but they're, they're you know, they go back to details and kind of how they want to play. And it's gotten them through, kept them in games. And then they've been able to strike at opportune times. Shane Knighty is our guest analyst for VGK on TV, former great player, kind enough to join us in, I want to get into Eichel and what his ceiling could be. You know, we know what he could be when he's healthy, but he played on a bad team. Now he comes over to this team with several all-stars in a vibrant community where he needs to be a leader and a star. What have you noticed with his health coming back to close to 100%, what you saw in the preseason, and how he's skating now? Well, I certainly have seen, and I would start go back to, you know, last year, the long offseason, a chance for him to train, get his body right first full summer he's had and I don't know how many years to train since getting that disc replacement surgery last year in February or sorry November came back in February so this is a player a young guy that I think has come in determined and I think it's been good for him to come in he's surrounded by a lot of captains like the likes you know Alex Petrangelo has won a cup Alec Martinez who has a couple Mark you know Mark Stone these guys I think he's come in you know, in Buffalo, he was the young guy who had to be the leader. Here, he has to be just another piece. He has to be another leader in the room, not the guy. Um, and it's interesting when people ask me to sing. I think he's, his talent is off the charts. His ceiling, he can, he's going to continue to grow as a player. I think he's going to turn it up here as the season goes along. I think he's played really well. He's a point-of-game guy. Uh, I don't expect anything less. But I think I understand when you play on great teams and you play to win, you're not necessarily, you don't need to be the, the Connor McDavid, what he does in Edmonton, playing 24 minutes a night. Um, 
you know, they're going to spread ice time out here because they got a balanced team. There's a certain way they want to play for the team, for the team to have success. And then when you do, then the individuals have it along the way. And I think the big thing for Jack Eichel, we saw it last game, why they got him, he's that guy that can be the game breaker, score a goal like he did in overtime. Um, and I think we're going to see more and more of that of this year. He just, you know, the power play's got to get going. That's probably one area they'd like to see improve. Um, and he's going to be a part of that. So, uh, you know, I hate to put numbers, but, you know, I certainly see him being an 80, 90-point guy this season. Shane Knighty, as we wrap it up, tell me about the goalie rotation and what everyone oh. should be optimistic. We had Robin Leonard, drama, not all his, but fans getting triggered because of Marc-Andre Fleury. We've been talking to you since the first night of this team, and now it seemed very calm, very calm, no drama here in Vegas with the goaltending position. You know these fans are looking for something to gravitate to, and it's not the goalie position being a nightmare. No. And, you know, what's interesting is everybody, you know, that was the big topic coming in. What are they going to do goaltenders? Well, they've got two guys. And what I love about it is each and every time those guys go in the net, they're auditioning. They're competing because they want to be the guy that gets the net. So that's a driving force right there. And then I think Logan Thompson has huge potential. And, and for all those Flurry fans out there, JT, don't you see flashes of Flurry mm-hmm. in this game? Yeah. Logan, he's just, his compete on the puck, he's very athletic. And I think Aiden Hill, we didn't know as much about, has come in a big body, made the saves they're supposed to, and they've defended well in front of them. But the thing, you know, I know it's only 10 games, and Bruce Cassidy even mentioned this the other day. He said they have yet to let in a leaky goal. You know, you see leaky goals every night. It happens, and it's going to happen. But they've yet to do that. They've made the saves they're supposed to. They've stopped other ones. It's, uh, you know, the goaltending's been great, and I think these two young guys continue to push along what they're going to do. Um, they're just going to let it play out. I think they like the rotation they're on. They had a plan set in place, and it's been working well so far. All right, Shane, I love asking you these questions now because the road trip at Washington, Ovechkin, wow, nation's capital, at Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, and Buffalo. Those are big cities. You know I'm a New York guy. So if you're a single guy or a married guy, when you go on the road, do you hit the ATM? Do you bring an extra credit card? These are some of the best restaurants in the world at times to go to. What does a hockey player bring on an extended road trip this long when it comes to cash? Well, I don't know what the players bring now. You know, certainly they get per diem every day. So that, yeah. I don't think that'll cover some of the restaurants. You're right. There's <laughs> some great, uh, we're in Washington. I hit the old Ebbett Grill, some of the best seafood you'll find here in, in the nation's capital. Um, you know, in Ottawa, there's a place from when I played there. Uh, what's that for Kelly's? I'm going to hit that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montreal's got a great sushi spot. Wow. Uh, they got, you know, so many good restaurants. Don't worry. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, hope my wife's not listening. Um, but yeah, certainly we'll, we'll, we'll eat well. We'll look after ourselves. See, here's what I'm asking. At Toronto, November 8th, my mom's birthday, and then the next game is Thursday, November 10th at Buffalo. Do you get the night in Toronto, or is everybody on the plane heading to Buffalo, so it's a night in Buffalo first? How does that work? Well, actually, the Buffalo game is an ESPN game, so we're not doing that one. Okay. Um, and I did not know your mom's birthday is November 8th, so she shares it with somebody very important. That being, that's my birthday. Wow. So, happy Good birthday for you. to mom and me, yeah. Thank Wow, so happy there, birthday. There you so go. your birthday's going to be in Toronto, and you don't have to work the next game. So well, this could be I, pretty I, good here. 
I'm not in Toronto, unfortunately. I'm doing a Turner game on November 8th, Tampa and Edmonton. Oh, So wow. I'm all over the map. So I'll be down there by myself with the Turner crew. How's that so working out for you, man? How's that work? That's a great honor for you to be on that Turner broadcast and being, you know, just so important to VGK. How are you handling that schedule? What's that like? It's good. It's good. You know, I'm fortunate. I got somebody very capable and Darren Elliott has done games to step in and work mm-hmm. with Dave and, um, you know, the organization. I think it's great. Any, you know, organization that has guys that can do national games and speaks to quality. We got, in my, you know, I'm biased, but I think we got the top broadcast group around here with the Golden Knights and uh, we do a great job. We get along. It's a fantastic group. And yeah, for me, it's a, it's a great opportunity to be able to do national games. That's kind of, you know, in our position, JT, you, you know, I love it. I'll always be with the Golden Knights, but to have that opportunity to do national as well is just kind of the cherry on top. It's awesome. Hey, uh, have a great road trip. Thanks for making time, and uh, really appreciate you doing this. All the best, my friend. Thanks, JT. Always a pleasure. Take care. You got it. Shane Knighty, what a good guy. Isn't that cool? He gets to do national games in the Vegas Golden Knights. Mr. Foley and the broadcast team are like, yeah, we're not going to get in your way. You're, you're, that's a big promotion opportunity to do this with ESPN and Turner calling games, too. All right, that was Jason Horowitz, the voice of the Raiders, and to the analyst for the Golden Knights in one chunk. Thank you for that. And now Paul Gutierrez next from Sarasota. Man, he writes some pretty interesting columns. He lets it fly. He's in that locker room. We'll find out what's happening with the silver and black. If you want to get through, I got time for you to the top of the hour, 702-365-9200, as we are brought to you by Virgin Hotels, Las Vegas. I wouldn't be here if I could handle the pressure, you know, you know, and then in the day, I also know who I am. You know, God's given me an amazing ability to, to keep going and keep playing and keep doing what I love to do every day and, uh, you know, keep leading. So at the end of the day, I ain't going to blink. Enjoy that flight. Yo, Broncos country. Let's ride, baby. Broncos country. Let's ride. That's driving Denver crazy. They hate it. They hate that he's doing that because they've been struggling, but they get a win as the Raiders get shut out and Kansas City. And the Chargers on a bye week. When is something going to go right for the Raiders and they take advantage of an opportunity? Paul Gutierrez is kind enough to join us, and we appreciate him from ESPN. I'm assuming life is good in Sarasota. How are you? JJ, how you doing? Actually, you know what? I did not make that trip out there. Okay. Uh, so I'm not with the team. Did it in 16 and did it in 17, and didn't really uh, make it out there this time. So I'm enjoying the West Coast. How about Good. you? Fantastic. <laughs> I made that trip in the past, and it was always a kind of a fun trip and yeah. one of those decompressed trips. And let's get into that and what happened in all the years you've covered this team, trying to figure out why they started so flat, why they couldn't fire off the ball early, considering they got out there in time. They knew this could happen. They were going up against Dennis Allen. It seemed like the New Orleans sideline and the entire team was much more prepared right out of the gate. Yeah, it was mind-boggling. You're right. You know, I've covered a lot of, of bad Raider teams, and to see that happen uh, in New Orleans would not have been a surprise with a bad team. There's just simply too much talent on, uh, especially the offensive side of the ball, but also on the defensive side of the ball for something like that to happen. And and whether it's just coming out flat, whether it's getting punched in the mouth uh, by that raucous, super dumb crowd and a very active and fast defense that that you know, if, if you really want to put it sit down, it was was a Dennis Allen type revenge game they just weren't ready to respond. And I think it comes back to some of those growing pains that, 
yeah, they do have all the talent in the world on offense, and uh, you know it's still taking a long time for them to finally get their footing. Uh, I know Darren Waller was expected to play. They at least hoped he would play, and he didn't. Uh, I don't think that was a big factor there, but it might have been a little bit of a letdown. But still, mm-hmm. you go out there, you get the ball first, and, and you go three and out. That kind of sets the tone for the rest of the day. I was surprised they didn't have any idea how to guard Alvin Kamara. That would have been the game plan, Taysom Hill and Kamara. You don't have to worry about Andy Dalton shredding you apart. He could beat you in the fourth quarter, but it never came down to the second half of the fourth quarter because they couldn't stop Kamara. Who failed at that? Was that the defensive coordinator? Do they just not have the players who can cover a back like that out of the backfield? Combination of all of it. Because if you know what their weapon is, and, and it was no surprise, you, you said it, Kamara and, and Taysom Hill. When Taysom Hill's lined up in the shotgun, you know he's probably just going to run the ball, and you don't have a spy ready there for him. Then that, that comes down to coaching, or it's the players not, not taking the week of practice seriously enough. And, and Derek Carr, in his postgame comments, he kind of hinted at that a little bit, that, that maybe they didn't take practice as seriously as they should have all week long, but then he backed off of that and said that he thought they did have a good week. So there's a lot of weirdness that happened, and probably the best thing that could happen for this team is to get away and to go to Sarasota for the week for another like little mini camp um, just to kind of figure out where they are with no distractions, they're away from everybody. Um, and that's something that you, know, you try to do in, in training camp, but when you're home for training camp, you're not really getting that full sense of it either. So you just got to wait and see how they respond to this and come back. And I asked Derek Carr this myself after the game was, you know, they're coming off a big win. Then they get punched in the mouth. And then how do they respond? Well, as a rookie, you saw it happen when they got his first win ever. They beat the Chiefs in that, mm-hmm. that uh, primetime game with the, with the wild Seal Moore, Khalil Mack sack dance. Then they come out and they get beat 52 to nothing by the Rams. Mm-hmm. How do they respond? They come back and get another win. They beat the 49ers uh, in Oakland at that time. So we'll see if they, they try to respond. And you know they're going to try to respond, but we'll see if they do respond that way in Jacksonville. Uh, Paul Gutierrez joins us. So, Paul, I think I have an idea of the plan from talking to Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. It's a long-term plan. It's in the building. It's not only a culture plan, but it's a scouting department, how they're going to do it, coach up players. A trade deadline came and went, nothing big here. But it's hard to institute a plan and get the fans to buy in when you're not winning games. I understand the plan, and I think it's a good, solid one. And if they won two other games, I don't think anybody's talking about this at any level. If the Raiders beat Arizona and find a way to beat Kansas City, we're not having this type of conversation here. What are you sensing around the organization with the slow start and how the GM and the head coach are handling it? Well, it seems like every time they take a step forward, they take two back. Well, they take two steps forward, and then they, they take one step back. They're just The consistency is not there because their best showing all year came in back-to-back games, losing you know that heartbreaker at Kansas City, but then putting it all together against you know arguably the worst team in the NFL in Houston, and then you just fall flat on your face uh, at New Orleans. I mean, it's kind of, okay, what's really going on here? Because is, is it that, that McDaniel's system is not fitting these players? Are the players not adjusting to the system? Up until this past week, you had had that sense in that locker room, and I had written about it, that it was a combination of, of Alfred E. Newman, Mad Magazine. I know a lot of the younger mm-hmm. listeners are going to have to look that up, but it's the what me worry, right? It's like, no, we got this. It's good. Because you got the sense that when they got on the road and they would come back, they'd be 4-4 four and four and ready to take off. Well, this throws a major wrench into that. So trying to figure out what's going on in the organization, I mean, there's no no mistaking that, you know, it's, it's I've tweeted about it. It's picked up some steam, but Mark Davis has had some lengthy – post-game meetings with with josh mcdaniels that's kept mcdaniels from getting to his post-game presser uh, responsibilities doesn't mean anything more because he did that with john gruden he did mm-hmm. that with jack del rio it just shows that there is some patience wearing thin and just trying to get to the bottom of it immediately after a game as well what do you think's happening with hunter renfro and his production 
Yeah, that's, again, another thing you would have thought that if there was one player on this roster that would have thrived in Josh McDaniel's system, it would have been the slot receiver, right, based on all the history we saw in New England. And he just, to me, he just hasn't looked comfortable all season long. He didn't, definitely didn't look comfortable after uh, the game against Arizona where he missed a couple of games with the concussion he suffered on that last play of the game as well. So just a lot of guys that just don't look comfortable in their roles on the field. And, again, that comes down to the, the question is, is uh, you know is the coaching staff not adapting to the players? Are the players not a coaching to the coaching staff? Is there a happy medium somewhere in between? And like we've talked about forever, JT, the truth is usually somewhere in between. So that's what they've got to try to figure out. Well, we'll wait to hear from Dave Ziegler when it comes out, and I'm sure you'll be writing about what they wanted to do or didn't do at the trade deadline. What do you think's going on, Paul? And I'll go first. I just think that they're trying to hold on for next year and make really good decisions next year with what they have now. They signed plenty of guys, and Wallace should be really happy he got paid because he's not available, and Hunter got paid, and he's not playing well, and Derek got paid, and we know the status of his contract. Max got extended, so there has been money handed out to the, from this new regime to old regime players, but... You know, this draft pick is starting to loom as a really high pick as of today, and they're hoping to win games, and they'll lower it. But decisions have to be made coming up here, and the trade deadline, they didn't do anything drastic. So what do you think of the long-term goals as they try to look at this roster and potentially move on from a lot of these players in the offseason? Yeah, that's the the million-dollar question, Mm -hmm. because when you look at the guys that they re-upped in the offseason, it showed, okay, they're they're ready to win now. And I had asked Mark Davis when when they announced Ziegler and and McDaniels coming in as the new regime was, you know, he's overseen reconstruction, deconstructions. This was a team that had just gone to the playoffs. You you moved on from the interim coach and Rich Passaccia, who the players loved and adored, uh, to bring in Josh McDaniels and and Dave Ziegler. And, And I asked Mark at the time, what type of move is this? And he said, well, really, he's trying to take the next step. It's not a deconstruction. It's not a reconstruction. It's trying to make this offense, this defense, this team as a whole, that was already a playoff team, even better. We haven't seen that. And therein lies the frustration. So, yeah, there is a long-term plan. But as you mentioned right at the top, that's not what's going to sell tickets. That's not what fans want to see and or hear. That's not you know, what you want to see at Allegiant Stadium like you saw when Denver Bronco fans came into that place. So, they have to win, but they also have to keep an eye on the future as well. And, again, the biggest wild card in this whole thing is the quarterback position because if it's not a fit, then what do you do there? And, mm-hmm. and if it's not a fit for these other guys that are coming up on contracts, what do you do there? So there's a lot to be decided here. Again, we're in the soft underbelly of the schedule for the Raiders, so I thought they'd go on a run here and they would they'd come home 4-4 four and four and be like 6-4 and four at some point. I'm not so sure now. And, and again, it's because every week is a season, season unto itself in the NFL. They come out and they they uh, they look really well, look really good against the the uh, Jaguars. Then we're talking about something else entirely in a couple of weeks. Yeah, they have to look good against the Jaguars. I mean, I call this a five alarm fire, an emergency in regards to a game. If you show up to New Orleans and lose twenty six twenty four, something weird happens. Okay, it's another close game. I don't think last one you're going to be writing a column about them being close anymore. Those days have passed. No more. We're there. We're right there. We're close. They have to have one game against an inferior team or a team that's average or a little bit below average, this would be the case, where they have a dominant performance that could give them the confidence that they could do what you initially said, get to 6-4. and four. Jim Trotter, who we respect, thought they could win six in a row. I had Steve Weish on last week. He said five in a row, he thought, and now it's 0-1 in New Orleans. This has got to be a win for the Raiders in Jacksonville. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all kind of starting over again. The New Orleans thing kind of reset the deck on them. 
And, and, and for no other reason, you see the rest of the, the conference, not just the division, but the rest of the conference is going all in. You saw what Miami did. You mm-hmm. saw what Baltimore did at the trade deadline. Um, you know, the Broncos are, are winning games somehow, some way. They've got to keep pace, and they've got to be able to go strong. And, and that's the one thing that Josh McDaniels continues to say is that he wants this team to be playing its best football at the end, which is fine, but that's not going to help you if you're already three or four games out with five games to go and, and you're barely starting to find your string and, and everybody else is kind of ahead of you at that point. So, but, yeah. yeah, you're right. They need that big game. They had it against Houston, and then they fell on their face against New Orleans. So they need to pick up that, that swagger and that, that steam again. Yeah, they got to find some swagger. Thank you, Paul. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Appreciate you. Sounds good. All right, Paul Gutierrez, ESPN. You know, he's hard on the team. He's a journalist. He writes really good content. He's covered this team for a long time. He knows when the team's playing well, and he knows when there's issues surrounding it. And he talked about the tweet on the time that Mark Davis spends with Josh McDaniels. He's the owner. He can spend two hours with him if he wants or 10 minutes. He's engaged in this. Mark is engaged with this team on trying to give them everything they need to win. Now it's up to the coaches and players to deliver for the fans. The owner's good. The fans are what the owner really cares about. He wants to get you wins. It's got to start in Jacksonville. JT, one more segment for phone, 702-365-9200 next. Second down and eight on the Ram 34-yard line. Kittle is inside of Ayuk right. They motion McCaffrey backwards pass to McCaffrey. And he's going to throw downfield wide open. Brandon Ayuk! Touchdown! San Francisco! He can Ayuk, run! Ayuk, he can Ayuk catch! Is on fire. fire! Christian McCaffrey can throw! You know I got to play the McCaffrey touchdown. He had the triple crown in a game. Threw one, caught one, ran for one. Niners Radio, JT, back with you. Elton John, tonight for those who are going, everybody excited about that coming off Halloween as we get set to wrap up the show. One more thing, we mentioned Elton John and music. Taylor Swift, so they just announced her concert coming to Allegiant Stadium, which will be historic. Check this out. She pulls off the most historic Billboard music chart moment in history. She becomes the first artist to claim the entire top 10 list in a single week. That means every song on the album is in the top 10. Number one's a, I don't know her music, so don't get me on this. Every slot is a Taylor Swift song. We're talking Madonna, Beatles, everyone who's ever been an artist in this country. She has the top 10 with 10 songs. And Allegiant Stadium has her here. I mean, this is incredible. I'm not familiar. Anti-Hero, number one. And then it goes down. Maroon, number three. Midnight Rain, five. And then Karma, number nine. So I guess the kids and the gals are downloading every bleeping song because this is the Billboard Hot 100, and that's for real. They've been keeping track of that for a really long time. So we just saw the Niners. They got McCaffrey. It paid off in a game. And how about the performance on Monday Night Football? Buffalo. Josh Allen, they didn't play well in the second half of that game, but Stephon Diggs and him hooked up for an early touchdown. Josh takes a snap, going to throw, goes to the end zone, and this one is caught, caught for a touchdown. Let's see. It is Stephon Diggs. It is a Buffalo touchdown. Diggs got behind Russell Douglas, the guy he was just pushing and shoving with, 
and it's a Buffalo touchdown, a 26-yard strike from Josh Allen. Yeah, that was Sunday night, excuse me, on Bill's radio, so they get it done. Geno Smith. Geno Smith. I put out a tweet last night. Let me find it. Geno to lock it. I cannot believe this is the number one surprise in all of football, period. I'm upset. It's a surprise that the Raiders are two and five. But conversely, when you look at what's happening in Seattle, this is incredible. Geno going to throw again on first down. Pump fake. Going to throw deep. Got a man in the corner. It is locked. Touchdown, Seahawks. What a drive led by Geno Smith. Tyler Lockett was not going to let this one get away. That's uh, Seahawk Radio. So I tweeted this out last night. Uh, please understand this. What makes Geno Smith so amazing is he wasn't even a good backup. His career has been awful. He was drafted in 2013 by the Jets. In his rookie year, he had 12 touchdowns and 21 interceptions. Okay, in 2015, he had a total of two touchdowns, two for the whole year. In 2016 and 17, two seasons combined, he had two total touchdowns, one each year. In 2018, Geno Smith played for the Chargers. Listen to this. For the entire season, he's a backup. One for four for eight yards the whole year. He threw for eight yards. Eight yards. He got paid. You're right. 2020 with Seattle, the team he's with now, backing up Russell Wilson. Four of five for 33 yards the entire year. Are you kidding me? And now this guy's putting up these numbers. So what's the lesson to be learned? The lesson to be learned is you do whatever you can to stay on a roster. Nate Peterman, whoever it is, you do whatever you can, Chase Daniels, to stay on a roster. And then if you get your chance and you prepare right and you're doing the right thing, you're in a really good spot to have a Geno Smith moment. I think it's incredible. It's one of the best stories out there. Now, Jalen Hurts is a hell of a player. I got this one right. Character, character, character. Remember, the last time we saw Jalen Hurts play in Vegas, the Raiders put up 30 unanswered and beat him. Now he's a completely different quarterback. Ball down at the 29-yard line. Now Scott to the right of Hurts. Hurts looks, fakes, still looking. He is going deep down the far side, and it is A.J. Brown again! Another touchdown! 29 yards! Boom! So that's Philly Radio. So Philly's in the World Series tonight. They pushed that back. What a disaster that is. They had two rainouts with the Yankees series that pushed the Astros back that had to push back the World Series, and now they push it back. So we could have Game 7 of the World Series Sunday night. That's not what they want. The best piece of sound I have for you today is from Jim Harbaugh, the head coach of Michigan. There was an assault that took place. Michigan State players jumped the Michigan player who went down the wrong, basically it's like a gang fight. He went down the wrong alley, and he ran into the Michigan State players. So there's an assault charge on two of the players here. I think the players should lose their scholarships. They can still play again. they got to transfer to another team. Can't play in this rivalry anymore. Jim Harbaugh won't let it go. Here's Jim Harbaugh yesterday. Sickening to watch the videos. On social media right now. Also the ABC tunnel cam. It's in a higher elevation that shows shows much more of uh, of what took place those are uh sickening to watch wow so jim harbaugh i thought would say as the head coach you know they won the game easy they won the game they're undefeated would say you know this is ugly let's move on no listen to what jim harbaugh is saying about this assault and what he wants to see going forward there needs to be accountability there needs to be a full thorough timely investigation I can't imagine that this will not result in criminal charges. Criminal charges. So this was a big topic on my show last night, and here's my takeaway. When you go to college, you're an amateur athlete. Now we've ruined it. 
We're paying kids now to go to college, which is, all right, everybody agrees on this. We're going to pay kids now. They're amateur athletes. They might act like they're pros. But when you get in a barroom fight in a bar, you can get arrested by the cops. A lot of times in these small towns, Tallahassee, Gainesville, you know, small town, you get into a fight, the local sheriff cleans it up. Says, hey, go home, guys. Go back to bed. Get out of here. Break it up. Break it up. Unless someone's orbital bone breaks or someone gets injured. This happened on film at a game, and they, this cannot happen. So you can't reward these guys by letting them play again because there was a serious assault. Also, I use the word thug all the time. For me, when I say thug, it has nothing to do, nothing to do with race or gender. A thug is an individual who uses violence to intimidate someone or actually hurt someone. This was thug-like behavior by Michigan State, who violently, as they kept their helmets on, started punching someone who didn't have a helmet. So this is a big problem in the NCAA now, too. I think the NCAA is getting out of control because they're not an accounting firm. They're paying kids all over the place, plus kids are making money under the table to begin with. And only teams that are getting better are the best schools with the most money and the biggest alumni. College football is no longer college. It's professional football. Just below, yeah, you're right, Bobby, AAA, just below the NFL. Nice show today. Thanks to our guest all in the last hour, Shane Knighty, color analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights on TV, Jason Horowitz, the voice of the Silver and Black, and Paul Gutierrez from ESPN covering the Raiders. So the aftermath, we took two full days on the Raiders' loss in New Orleans. Not what I planned when the schedule came out. Not what I planned on this week, but we did it. I think we did it with our head held up, and we really thank you and all of our partners for the support here. Tomorrow we get into our Jacksonville coverage. We'll start previewing the Jaguars and what it will take here and look around the league, and i got a couple of national guests and gambling guests coming up. So thanks to our partners, and thank you for listening. Q's coming up next. We are the flagship of the Raiders, and we're very proud of that. And the new podcast comes out today. Check it out after Q's show. It's Raiders Roundtable. You can get it at Raiders.com or just subscribe to it on YouTube. I'm telling you, we got after it today, and Lincoln Kennedy was bleeping great. So that comes out in a little bit. Have a great day, everyone.